We're in Joshua chapter 24. Joshua is now an old man. He is near death. And he's called for all of the elders of Israel. He's called for the leaders of each tribe to come. And he's going to give them their inheritance. And he's going to give them instructions. This is Joshua's uh, last State of the Union address. So let's pick it up in chapter 24 of Joshua We'll read the first 13 verses. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and he called for the elders of Israel, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants, and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. I also sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them. Afterwards, I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And so they cried out to the Lord, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, brought the sea upon them and covered them, and your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, or, and, who dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. And they fought with you, but I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land. And I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Therefore, he continued to bless you, so I delivered you out of his hand. Then you went out over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and to the men of Jericho fought against you. Also the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, the Hittites and the Gergesherites and the Hevites. That's a lot of ites and the Jebusites. But I delivered them out of your hand, into your hand, rather. I sent hornets before you which drove them out from before you. Also the king of the Amorites, but not uh, with your sword or with your bow. I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you did not build, and you dwelt in them, and you eat of the vineyards and the olive groves which you did not plant. Joshua is going to give Israel... Uh, a little history lesson. It's always good for us to remember our roots and how they became a people separated unto God. And Joshua takes the people all the way back to Abraham, Abraham's father, Terah. Joshua tells the people uh, the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs, and how they went down into Egypt. And Joshua even mentions Esau, 
who went to the mountain country of Seir. However, God has sent Moses and Aaron to deliver Israel out of Egypt. But in their exodus, when Israel is leaving Egypt, they come to the Red Sea. Israel is being pursued, of course, by Pharaoh and the Egyptian army, and they have chariots and they have horsemen. Israel is very much afraid. They, they cry out to God, and he answers their cry. And he answers their cry by bringing darkness between Israel and Egypt. And basically, Egypt can't go forward and find Israel because of the darkness. But Egypt pursues Israel into the dry pathway of the Red Sea. Then God closes that path in the midst of the sea upon Egypt and their army, and he drowns the entire army of Egypt. God has allowed Israel to view Israel witnesses his deliverance on their behalf. I'm convinced that many times we're are oblivious to God's care and protection of us. We, we sometimes have those times or witnessing of God's great mercy towards us. Sometimes we can see it. But there's other times where we don't even know God has protected us. We have those near misses and we have close calls and but we should let those close calls, those near misses, be a reminder to us of God's grace. Israel, they've just crossed the Red Sea on dry ground, right through the midst of the Red Sea. And now they stand there on the banks of the Red Sea. And Israel witnesses, their eyewitnesses, to the waters returning to their natural place, and, they dr and the waters drown the entire army of Egypt, chariots along with horsemen, and it must have been a very gruesome sight. Even the special effects of Hollywood could not touch the true spectacle of the waters of the Red Sea drowning the entire army of Egypt. There were thousands of them that were drowned. And their chariots and their horsemen. Then God takes Israel out into the wilderness. And it says for a long time. That long time was 40 years. And then Joshua mentions Balak. And Balak hired Balaam, the false prophet. And he hired Balaam to curse Israel. But Balaam can't do that. He can only proclaim what God has shown him, and that is blessings of Israel, not cursings. God delivering his people from a false prophet, a very real potential evil situation that Balaam desired to bring upon Israel. He wanted to collect his payment from Balak. He wanted to curse Israel, and God would not let him. 
I think one of the wisest prayers any of us can pray is, Lord, lead us not into temptation. Have you ever thought of how many disasters you avoid simply because the Lord oversees your environment? God watches out for us. In verse 10, God declared that he would not listen to Balaam. And Balaam has no choice but to bless Israel. And then Joshua talks about Jericho and how God drove out all Israel's enemies from the land of promise. A land that is already flourishing. Canaan was a very good land. It had grape vineyards. It had olive groves. And it had cities that were already built with high walls and so forth. Uh, just a little side note. You plant olive trees for your grandkids. You don't plant them for yourself. It takes an olive tree 40 years to get into full production. And there's already olive groves there. And there's grape vineyards. And Joshua, he recounts to Israel and all their leaders there the blessings that God has given them by giving them this land of promise. And Joshua... He has a conclusion for Israel, and that is, serve God, Israel. Now, you would think, why does Joshua have to say that? Well, let's read verses 14 through 28. Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Ammonites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us out, us and our fathers, out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us, all the people, including the Ammonites who dwell in the land, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said, and he said to the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgression nor your sins if... If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign God, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. So Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen the Lord for yourself to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses now, therefore, he said, put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. And the people said to the 
said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day, and he made for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. Then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone, set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness to us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. I shall therefore be a witness to you, lest you deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart, each to his own inheritance. This is Joshua's last word and testament to the people. He says, people, be sincere in your service to the Lord. Fear and respect God. These are people that have witnessed God's miracles time and time again. But how do we keep a sincere respect for God in our service to God? How do we keep God from becoming ordinary in our daily lives? We know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Keeping our heart pure before God is a great help not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. But we live in a world that's very callous. Or have you noticed? <laughs> we can be so politically correct to other groups of people, to other men. And we can be so disrespectful towards God. Let me try to explain. I do not appreciate at all our God being compared to Allah. Sorry. He is not Allah. He is the living God. Recently, the God story was on the Science Channel on TV. And basically, I watched that program and try not to argue with it. But they reduce God to being what man thinks God should be. The Bible tells us all we need to know about God. The Bible is the book about God. If you want to know about God, read his word, what he says about himself. And man's conclusions through his own intellect, through his own thinking, I'm sorry, but it's pure foolishness. The world would tell us about Jesus that he was a good prophet, ahead of his time, a great thinker, but they dare not call him God. It's a, it's a little thing, but... I detest movies and TV programs that use the name of God in vain. It just, it rubs me the wrong way. <laughs> we hear the term, God damn this, or God damn that, and it's not even considered bad language. 
And there's another one, a very popular one, and it bothers me too. <laughs> OMG. Oh, my God. Do ye not grow weary of hearing that? <laughs> oh, Oh my God, what a beautiful kitchen. They just remodeled the kitchen. Oh my God, what a classic automobile. Oh my God, my sports team won its game. Oh, please. It's clearly, clearly using the name of God in vain. Oh my God is even used to express calamity or disaster. An earthquake happens, and you hear the people say, oh, my God. Tornadoes, oh, my God. Hurricanes, oh, my God. A bad day at work, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, it goes on. God's name being used in vain has come into the church, too. The church I was raised in, the term praise God was just something you threw on at the end of a sentence to sound spiritual. It was used without thinking. It was used what I called extremely casually. If you hear me say praise God, hopefully, I mean, praise God. I don't use that as a term, as a filler in my vocabulary. We should not try to use the name of God in vain because it's disrespectful. It shows a true lack of respect for God if we use his name in a very casual way demeaning way. All right, I'll get off my soapbox. Verse 14. Joshua tells Israel, put away the gods that your fathers served on the other side of the Jordan and in Egypt. These other people, these Egyptians served and worshiped God of the sun, the wind, the rain, gods of fertility, even sacrificing their youth, they're not their youth, but their infants, to these pagan deities. And Joshua says, put them away. And then verse 15, Joshua asks a question. And it's a very pertinent question. And if serving God seems evil to you, literally, if serving God seems worthless to you. If serving God is of no value to you, then choose this day whom you will serve. And Israel doesn't have the option of not choosing. Israel must choose. They cannot remain what we would call neutral or uncommitted. Years ago, probably I'm the only one here can remember, Bob Dylan wrote a song declaring you've got to serve somebody. 
It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. And that's so true. Sometimes we don't realize it, but in God's economy, there is no neutral ground. Jesus said, you're either for me or against me. There's no neutral ground there. But consider all the immoral laws and regulations that are being passed by our legislators of today. That fence-sitting here in Christian America, that trying to be neutral, becomes more and more difficult. Even in our election process, which dominates the news today, evangelical. Well, that used to be a term we all identified with. But we no longer can identify with that term evangelical. Because evangelical no longer means a Christian with conservative views. It just simply means that you attend church once in a while. So we hear of these campaigners that are going for the evangelical vote. I wonder who are they? <laughs> and Joshua, he knows his people. He knows the people that he's leading. He knows their tendencies. He knows their failures. He knows their good qualities. And Joshua has declared to them, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And Israel, you cannot make this promise to serve God if you got your little foreign gods and idols tucked away in your tent. You can't do it. Israel, you must choose. You must choose whom you will serve. And it's God calling the entire nation of Israel on the carpet. I've shown myself strong to you. I've done great miracles in your sight. I've delivered you into the promised land. Now you've got to choose if you're going to serve me or not. You must choose Israel. Hyper-Calvinist do not believe in the free will of men. And what they do with these verses, I'm not sure. I wonder how they reconcile these verses that say, choose. Verse 24, the people respond to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve. His voice we will obey. Joshua says, okay. And then he makes a covenant and he writes down uh, a contract describing Israel's commitment and promises to God. Joshua takes a large stone, sets it up under a big oak tree, and this stone is a memorial, a witness before the Lord. Because later on, Joshua fears that the people will turn and deny God. It's interesting that Joshua would take just a large stone, make it a monument, make it a marker, 
as a witness before the people. Remember when Jesus entered Jerusalem in his triumphal entry? The Pharisees are telling Jesus, hush your disciples, hush your followers, for they're saying things they shouldn't say, Jesus. And Jesus said, if my disciples, if my followers were to be silent right now, then these stones, these very stones that you're walking on would cry out and praise God. We see here, Jesus is not limited to the behavior or the thinking of man. Jesus is creator. That was his responsibility. You read it. He created the heavens and the earth, nature included, and they're all at his disposal. When Jesus and the disciples <clears throat> we're out on the Sea of Galilee. A great storm arose. The disciples were slack-jawed amazed when Jesus stood up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and they obeyed him. The disciples cry out, Who is this that commands the wind and the waves? And they obey him. This large stone under an oak tree bears witness of the covenant between Israel and God. God will hold Israel accountable to their promise to serve him. God brings you and I, he brings every believer to this place that Israel is at right here. We can find ourselves right now at the crossroads of our spiritual life where God asks of us, choose this day whom you will serve. Now, we Christians, we have the great and wonderful knowledge that Jesus died on the cross for our salvation. Hey, we're quick to accept salvation. And like Israel, sometimes we can want to remain neutral. We're quick to accept salvation, but that's serving God. Well, let's, let's just kind of take it easy there. Not necessarily wanting to choose to fully follow God. We can be slow. We can be hesitant to make Jesus more than Savior, to make him Lord. Many times we'll try to balance our own will and our lifestyle with serving God. I've even had it said to me, I'm trying to find balance in my life. Well, when you find it, I doubt seriously you're going to be serving God. Jesus said to his disciples, anybody that would follow him, why do you call me Lord and do not do the things I say? Great question by our Lord. So by the spirit of the living God, I urge any and all who believe in Jesus 
Choose this day whom you will serve. If God is God, serve him. And I like what Joshua said. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I will set a standard in my home of serving God. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. <clears throat> Father, we, we can sometimes fool ourselves as to where we are spiritually. Joshua, he confronted the whole nation of Israel with choose whom you will serve. And Lord, I think you come to us loving us, wanting us to serve you. And so, Lord, even if we're not there spiritually to fully serve you, we give you permission to change our hearts. Give me a heart that comes after you, Lord, one that will follow after you and that will not be satisfied with anything short of serving you. We owe you our service. We want to serve you, Lord. But we find that our flesh resents that. So, Lord, do a work in our hearts and lives. Let us be found pleasing in your sight, Lord. Let us do the full will of God as you reveal it to us. Let us be obedient to you. Let us serve you with a sincere heart. Lord, we ask for this. Do this work in our hearts and lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.